Welcome to Nebraska Grows, a podcast for commercial fruit and vegetable producers in Nebraska. And today, my I'm Carol Waters, and today my guest is Dr. Sam Wartman with UNL um, Agronomy and Horticulture Department. I about said extension, but I know you're a researcher and teacher. So, uh, Dr. Wartman, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Well, first off, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. So I'm an associate professor in the Department of Agronomy and Horticulture, and I split my time between teaching and research, uh, mostly on high-value specialty crops here in eastern Nebraska. And uh, so I teach classes on plant propagation. Uh, I have a class called Plants, Landscapes, and the Environment, where we try to look at the whole system of plant management systems in Nebraska, ranging from options for growing specialty crops to agronomic crops and uh, and different um, grazing systems. So it's all plants in Nebraska. Um, and so that's an intro class. And then I also teach a class called Cover Crops and Agroecosystems, where we look at uh, different conservation management strategies. Um, and then a new class that we just developed called Specialty Crop Innovations, uh, which I'm really excited about. Students get a chance to design their own kind of micro farm. They get to pick out crops, grow those crops, manage them. They harvest and market them. We have a little farmer's market in the department where they uh, kind of compete for uh, sales uh, with some of the staff and, and graduate students in, on on campus. Um, so that's been fun to, to kind of merge my research interests with my teaching interests. Um, so from a research standpoint, I uh, do a lot of work on vegetables and strawberries. And most of that research is focused on nutrient management and weed management. And so a lot of our weed management research has been focused on finding uh, organic and non-chemical weed management solutions for the small scale, urban, local, organic growers. Um, many folks who are selling at farmer's markets, kind of that zero to 10 acre scale, maybe uh, small scale commercial. Um, and uh, a lot of that research is focused around mulches. So uh, plastic mulches, trying to get more out of our plastic mulches. So looking at things like plastic mulch reuse and double cropping, and then uh, alternatives to plastics. So biodegradable alternatives, either a biodegradable plastic or uh, sprayable mulch films. So liquid polymers that we can spray and, and solidify on the soil surface, uh, and then uh, bio-based fabric mulches and that we can grow our crops through as opposed to poking holes in them like we do our plastic mulches. Um, and then in terms of nutrient management, we do some work um, with inoculants, uh, AMF, uh, to try to improve nutrient uptake efficiency. We do a lot of work with compost, how to manage compost and um, try to time the release of nutrients from compost with when our crops need them. Uh, different ways of using compost and then cover crops and green manures in a similar way. Um, and so, uh, and when possible, we try to integrate those two things. Can we manage our mulches to try to improve nutrient management uh, and vice versa? So today I know you wanted to talk a little bit about plastic mulches and their reuse. Uh, for those who don't utilize plastic mulches currently, which I think most commercial producers do in some most do, but those who don't, what would be some benefits to using plastic mulches? 
Yeah, the, the main benefits of a plastic mulch film are that you can control weeds in the crop row. Um, and so that's a big benefit, just physical suppression of weeds. And sometimes that's the, the primary source of weed control. Sometimes it's a supplement to maybe a pre-emergent herbicide. Um, and they really help to conserve soil moisture. So you can put a drip tape irrigation underneath that plastic film. And the water that's delivered under the plastic film is primarily just going to be lost through transpiration through the plant. We don't have to worry about evaporative losses, which is uh, increasingly important as we go through these longer stretches of, of dry, hot temperatures. Um, and then, you know, we also um, get benefits from plastic mulch film in terms of temperature modulation. So we can use a black plastic film to try to increase soil temperatures and improve the earliness of our crops. Uh, or we can use uh, a white on black plastic film maybe to, uh, to try to minimize some of that cooling if we want to start maybe broccoli in July or August for a fall crop and we, we don't want that black plastic, uh, we can change the colors. There's also different colored mulch films that can uh, help with pest management. So there's metallicized films, there's yellow films and blues and reds. The reds are popular with tomatoes because we can, the light that's reflected off of them uh, heads back up into the canopy. And so um, we can kind of fine tune different management goals based on the color of those films. Okay. So what what's the benefit of reusing the plastic mulch? Yeah, so we've got a new project uh, funded by the Nebraska Department of Agriculture Specialty Crop Block Grant Program, where we are trying to explore uh, the possibility of reusing plastic mulch film um, for two seasons. And the way that we're doing that is trying to plant uh, a vegetable in year one that is a little bit shorter season, so maybe a, a pepper or a watermelon or squash crop. Uh, so that we're done harvesting by mid to late August. And then we follow that in the same plastic mulch film and the same holes that we created in that plastic mulch film with a fall planted strawberry crop. Uh, so we're planting Chandler strawberries into uh, that plastic so that we can harvest the, the following spring with a June bearing crop. And the, the benefit uh, is that uh, plastic mulch film is uh, about i think the most recent rolls we got were maybe uh, 150 to 180 dollars for a 4,000 foot by four foot roll uh, so if you figure on six foot centers if you've got about seven to eight thousand linear feet per acre uh, you need about two rolls to cover an acre. Uh, so you've you've got about $300, maybe $400 just in materials tied up, plus the application cost, the cost to remove it, uh, which requires your time and uh, fuel and equipment. And then there's disposal issues, right? So it's plastic. We have some other research. We're working hard to develop some recycling options for plastic mulch films, but it's tough because we've got soil and organic matter adhering to the plastic. And so uh, we're, we're trying to come at it from lots of different angles, right? We all remember learning about, you know, recycle, reuse, reduce, uh, and recycle. So we're, we're trying all angles, right? Um, so this is one way to reuse plastic. So if we don't have a good way to recycle it and maybe biodegradables aren't quite ready for certain applications, can we at least get two years out of this plastic before we need to use the time to remove it and send it to a landfill or to a burn pile? Nice. So what are you finding or is it just in the beginning stages of, of research? 
we just finished harvesting uh, the first crop of strawberries. So we're about a little over a year into the project. And uh, what we did is we tested two different thicknesses of plastic. So we've got a one mil plastic and a 1.5 mil to see if, you know, maybe the system works, but you need a thicker plastic to, to make it through the winter. Um, but just kind of observationally so far, uh, the one mil plastic seemed to do just fine. Um, and we um, didn't see any uh, exceptional ripping or tearing of the plastic um, and um, haven't looked at the yield data yet to see if there's differences between following peppers or following watermelon. Those were the two crops we, we tested this year. You know, from a practical standpoint, really the the most uh, the most challenging parts of the of the system were trying to plant directly back into the same planting holes. Um, so we were using a, a water wheel transplanter, uh, and so we've got our our dibbles that are poking holes uh, to not only poke through the plastic the first time you plant, but even for the second crop, you need that dibble to kind of create space for your strawberry plug that we were planting last fall and uh, getting that to perfectly line up both uh, in a linear way and also horizontally uh, was tougher than we than we had bargained for um, so in some cases we were actually it would work out where that dibble would drop right in the old hole uh, but in some cases we were making a new hole um, because it would miss it by three inches one way or the other so um so we are keeping track of weeds that emerge, right? To see how much are we sacrificing in terms of the functionality of that of that film by adding those new holes um, and leaving the old holes unoccupied as a place for weeds to come up. Uh, so that's really been the bigger challenge. The plastic itself survived that you know that full winter just fine, um, even at the one mil level. Nutrient management is the other thing that we're looking at because if you have to grow two crops consecutively and you can only make one pre-plant uh, application at that high rate that you normally would before you put your plastic down. Um, so for that second crop, the strawberries, everything's getting pushed through the drip line or we're kind of relying on residual from that first crop. So we've, we're comparing kind of a compost-based management strategy versus mineral only um, to see if there's any benefit of a, a high dose of compost at the beginning of this system. Was the cleanup from the first, from the peppers and watermelon, was that very labor intensive as well? Yeah, good question. Uh, watermelon wasn't too bad. Um, peppers and peppers were the, the act of like actually removing the residue wasn't bad. We um, we did it by hand. Uh, we had talked about just sh for the peppers in particular, we had talked about using a shredder. But for our research purposes, we were really worried about debris puncturing the plastic, right? We didn't want to introduce accidentally any uh, additional holes in the plastic if we could help it. So we just, we physically cut them and removed them. I think we ended up using like uh, loppers um, to, to cut those because by that point, the peppers were fairly woody because we did not trellis or stake the peppers at all. So they had developed a pretty good stem on them. And that was another practical consideration that I enjoyed the watermelon, following watermelon more because the there wasn't that woody stem there that there was with the peppers that uh, made it a bit of a challenge to, to transplant that strawberry into that same hole if there was a one inch diameter, you know, pepper stem that was still there. 
Okay. And from a conservation standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to do a, a crop rotation that way. So Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Rotating different families. And then, you know, we're also not having to, we're reusing the plastic and we also don't have to retill and rebed and lay new drip and all of that. So, um, so yeah, we're excited to, to kind of dig into the data and look at the profitability scenarios and, and pass that along to growers. So are you repeating it this year? Is there another round going on? Yes. Yep. We've got, um, uh, we still have, you know, we're just wrapping up harvest of last year's strawberries, and then we've got another rep going in. We've uh, already planted the peppers, and we've got watermelon that have, have come up. And so, yep, we're on to year two. Oh, awesome. And then I know you were interested in talking about alternative to, to plastic mulches, so some alternative mulches. Yeah. What, what's yeah, out we, there that can be used? Yep. Yeah. So the two um, commercially available biodegradable plastic films that that we're studying right now, uh, the trade names have kind of jumped around a bit over the years, but um, one is uh, most recently marketed as Bio360. Uh, this is a, a biodegradable plastic film that you can get through most of the online retailers um, and under that trade name. And it's a, uh, like what they call a, a starch polyester. And so it's mostly corn starch based uh, as far as the main ingredient. And the idea with these products is that you apply them um, and they are kind of designed to remain intact and durable for the typical temperate growing season. So you might expect that they'll, they'll provide weed suppression and moisture conservation for 60 to 100 days, maybe less if you're in a really hot, um, intense environment, maybe Florida or Texas, but if it's cooler, lower soil temperatures, less UV, um, you might get more like 120 days out of it before you start seeing some holes and rips and tears. And, uh, and then you harvest your crop and, and and then pull out your drip tape, but the plastic stays in the field. You can um, disc it or you can rototill it into the soil and it is certified biodegradable in soil, meaning that it's passed um, some international standard for uh, to demonstrate that within a period of 24 months under controlled conditions that microbes can digest it and turn it into CO2. Um, in a reasonable amount of time. Now, the the challenge is, is that a lot of growers say, well, yeah, they say that this stuff biodegrades, but I'm still finding it in my fence rows four years later. And the reason for that is that if it doesn't get fully incorporated in soil and uh, where the microbes can actually use it as a carbon source, it's not going to degrade. It may physically deteriorate, so it might shred and UV might break it down and it the, the plastic might get smaller. You might see like micro fragments and plastics, um, but it won't actually turn into CO2 unless it is buried in soil. There's enough moisture, high enough temperatures for the microbes to actually utilize that carbon source. So you really do have to take that next step and, and get it into the soil, incorporate it in somehow to break it down. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So there is, there is, there does have to be that tillage event and, um, and then the other concern that growers have had is that, you know, it, it is not as dur by design, it's not as durable as a polyethylene plastic film. 
You know, so as we've just shown with this other project, the even a one mil plastic film can survive a Nebraska winter and provide good benefits even for a second crop, um, whereas you wouldn't be able to do that with today's biodegradable plastic films. Um, and so so there are concerns about, well, you know, I'm, it's a more expensive product because the bio-based polymers to make these products are um in shorter supply and they're more expensive uh so you, you pay a little bit more now the value that's returned to the grower is that you're saving money by not having to remove it at the end of the season and you don't have to pay to landfill it or burn it so um so that's where they try to um kind of level the the economics there um but there can't be any sacrifice in the performance. And so, so we've got a project where we're looking at um, using this Bio360. And then the other product um, goes under the trade name of Organics AG or Organics Ag. Uh, the polymer there comes from BASF, it's EcoVO. And um, we use that film plus Bio360. We're looking at two different colors, a black film and a green film um in strawberry production so we planted albion strawberries this spring um and hoping to get one or two harvests off of that this year and then we will till uh that mulch uh into the soil this fall and we'll be tracking those residues of those biodegradable plastics uh, over the course of the next couple of years um, and that's a project that we're collaborating with other um, researchers at washington state university um, University of California, um, University of Florida, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, um, to try to to look at all dimensions of that in terms of how do these biodegradable plastics influence soil microbial communities, uh, how fast are they degrading and why, what factors are influencing those degradation rates. Uh, so if a farmer in Nebraska is finding those in their fence row, uh, why is that? Is it because of our lower precipitation? Is it the colder fall and spring temperatures well, you know why is that so that we can pass some information along to growers about you know how they can reasonably expect these products to behave in their field and i would assume that it's okay to replant immediately the next season into whatever you've tilled up i mean yeah that, that yeah, would make sense right good. That's a good question. And that's one that we started to look at in another one of our projects um, where we've been developing some bio-based fabrics for high density plantings. So carrots and lettuce are the two crops that we've primarily been working with, but also matted row strawberries. So the idea is that with these bio-based fabrics are crop seeds and seedlings can grow through them, but uh, it will suppress the majority of weeds trying to grow up from below. And uh, with that, in the early stages of that research, we were still exploring that product as something that would be tilled into soil. We're now shifting our focus to having that be something that we remove from the field and compost. But um, in the early stages of that research, we did ask that question. We said, you know, if we till this biodegradable mulch in the soil, which is mostly carbon, is there potential, for example, for immobilization of nitrogen that may um, lead to some stunting of the next season's crop, uh, or even just maybe mechanical interference with, say, a planter? Um, and and we didn't. While we did see residues, um, we didn't. Um, it was harder to quantify the mechanical disturbance issue, but we did not see any nitrogen immobilization or any effects on the next season crop yield. Now, 
that was after incorporating for one season. If you were to adopt a product like that and incorporate for 10 straight years, and if you weren't um, biodegrading that at you know an annual rate and you started to accumulate those residues, I, I could see a scenario where maybe it could become a bigger issue. And I think the other question people might have is people who want to grow organically, is that still considered organic growing at that point? Right. So that, that's been an ongoing issue uh, with the <laughs> National Organic Standards Board. But yeah, currently uh, you cannot incorporate any of the commercially available biodegradable mulch films. The only mulch products that can be incorporated in soil are the paper-based products. So Weed Guard Plus, um, for example, that is OMRI listed and can be added to soil. Now the organic growers, they can use plastic mulch films. They just have to be fully removed from the field at the end of the season. And so actually the same standard applies if they want to use a biodegradable film, they can, but you have to remove it all at the end of the season, which is really hard and almost impractical to do with the biodegradables because they start to deteriorate before you're done with them. So you're going to be picking up lots of small fragments. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious how that would, how that would play out in the organic field. So that makes sense. I'm going to kind of throw a curveball here for just a minute. I know that you have a citizen science project going on. How is that going? Yeah, it's, it's going well. We, uh, yeah, we've got, we started out, we've recruited almost 500 gardeners and small farms from throughout the state, all the way Scotts Bluff and Alliance to Southeast Nebraska and Northeast. Uh, I think I haven't double checked, but we've got almost every county in the state represented, I think. And, um, and folks sent us their uh, soil samples from their farms and backyard gardens, community gardens uh, for a baseline soil health assessment uh, to see just kind of benchmark what the soil health of our kind of urban and backyard and small farms were across the state. So that's being actually analyzed right now as we speak. So we're hoping to analyze that and then actually send the results out to those participants. Um, And then we also sent out supplies. Um, So each of these participants is adding compost or biochar or cover crops or no-till practices to their garden or small farm. Uh, And then, or some combination of those four things. And then they're going to be sending us additional soil samples uh, in at one year and two years to try to see how those practices uh, influence things like buildup of soil organic matter, soil microbial activity, soil aggregation, resistance to erosion, soil fertility, all those things, kind of this big picture soil health concept. And uh, so, yeah, so we are analyzing those soil samples. Uh, we've been slowly getting some data from from people, pictures from people's gardens, which has just been fascinating to see beyond their soil health practices, just different things that the gardeners and small farmers are doing across the state to grow all kinds of different crops um, has been really cool to see. Um, and so we're everybody's uh, growing a common zucchini crop, or most people are growing a common zucchini crop. So we will have a little bit of yield data that we'll try to make some sense out of, but, but really the main focus of the study is to just 
really benchmark soil health and see if we can move the needle a little bit with some of these uh, additions of organic carbon and um, and reducing soil disturbance, which, as, as we know, can be pretty intense in a lot of gardens. Absolutely. Well, I was just curious how that project was going. I know it was a um, well-received, maybe the way to say that. Yeah, yeah. When it first came out, so I was just curious how it was going. So great. Yeah. Um, in the last couple minutes, what is an extension tip that you would like people to be aware of? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, with regards to mulch films, I think it's like anything, whether we're talking about nutrients or cover crops or mulches. I think it's important to really consider your management goal. You know, so if you're considering using a mulch or a mulch film, um, you really want to think about why you're considering using that mulch film. Like, what problem are you trying to solve, or what value are you trying to to get from the mulch film, um, and what crop are you you know are you looking at? Because really, there are uh, there are very different mulch solutions for different crops and and different problems. So if a, if a commercial grower comes to me and, and they want to grow um, strawberries and their main goal is to, to try to control weeds, that's going to be one recommendation. But uh, if if they have a different crop and their main goal is to conserve soil moisture or even reduce soil disturbance or build soil organic matter, I may point them more towards some type of an organic mulch. Uh, they may consider arborist chips or wood mulch. They may consider a, a rolled rye cover crop, something like that. Um, so it really just depends on that management goal. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do in our research program is really explore lots of different options for achieving uh, improved sustainability um, whether it's through that plastic reuse or moving towards a biodegradable or um, exploring these new uh, technologies, because we know that in agriculture, you know, no, there's never a one size fits all solution, right? Every operation is different depending on climate and soil and philosophies. So we just we want to provide as many of those solutions as possible so we can kind of meet people where they are. All right. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining me today. Yep, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Carol. And thank you for listening to Nebraska Grows. Please be sure to like and subscribe wherever your favorite podcast subscriber is. Have a great day.